0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Koops. I'm your host, and today I'm excited to be uh, bringing you another uh, breakdown episode where we discuss a particular uh, book. In this case, uh, I've been reading a lot of craft books lately, and today I'm going to be discussing Romancing the Beat by Gwen Hayes. This is a, a very short little book, but it's uh, become one of the essential tools for romance writers who are especially just starting out or anyone who is interested in um, strengthening the romantic elements of your novel. So if you're a novelist, um, she says very very clearly in the beginning, um, this is for romance writers who've been told their books focus too much on the external plot, or romance writers who know something is missing from their book, or for non-romance writers looking to just strengthen the romantic elements of a different genre book. Because let's face it, whatever we're writing, Uh, There's a chance that there's gonna be some sort of romantic element in our story. And even if you're not writing romance, this particular book or understanding what the romance structure is can help you to be a better writer. And to help um, hook readers in and get them invested in the romantic relationships that exist in your novel, even if it's not the primary genre. Um, I see Marilyn is watching. I see Andrea's watching. Megan sees he's watching. Hi, Megan. I haven't seen you in a while. Nice to nice to hear from you, or see you watching at least. Um, if any of any of you have comments or questions throughout the episode, feel free to. Um, as always, it's live, so feel free to ask questions or. Um, Leave comments. I'm always happy to answer those if I can. So we'll jump into it. Um, I definitely, I've, I'm reading a lot of craft books right. I'm reading like three right now. And this particular one I've read in the past and I read it again today. It's very short. Um, it's, it's written in an easy style. It's, you can probably read this book in about an hour if you you know if you want to over a lunch break or something like that and get a lot out of it and then maybe just reread it again. So definitely recommended for anyone who is looking for a craft book that isn't gonna consume a ton of time, but will also just give you the essentials. Um, This this really does a good job of highlighting the difference between what a romance novel is at its core and any any other type of novel. Um, Even though many of our books do have a romantic element, they do not fall into a romance category unless they meet certain requirements. And interestingly enough, I've also heard it discussed if you read Save the Cat by Blake Snyder, for example, he'll he'll talk to you about how the structure of, for example, the buddy cop story is the same underlying core structure as the uh, romance novel. And you can understand, take some of these elements and use them in different ways. Um, it doesn't always have to be, you know, a male-female love relationship or a male-male or a female-female love relationship. It could be, you know, sisters. It could be, Um, you know, brotherhood, it could be friends, there could be even, there can be all kinds of different uh, ways of formatting this, but still use the same basic structure of these two protagonists being, you know, bound together for some particular reason and going through this adventure and growing from it. Um, That being said, we should talk about the, the basic theme of any romance novel, if you are specifically trying to write a romance novel. She says the the, the theme is already picked out for you. The theme is Love Conquers All. It's a, and she says, in a broad sense, all romance books are about this one theme. Romance readers have genre expectations, just like any other genre. The biggest of those is the Happily Ever After, or the H-E-A, or the H-F-N, the, H-F-N, the Happy For Now. Uh, if love doesn't conquer all at the end of your story, you didn't write a romance. So that's something um, fundamental to understand going into this. Is that if you're looking to try to break into the romance novel uh, genre, uh, because it is the largest genre out there as far as the terms of the novel market, um, make sure you understand at least the basic core of what this is. And you're going to have to have a happy happily ever after at the end of it, or happy for now, because that's what your readers expect. And if you don't give, you don't deliver that, you're going to suffer. Um, she says, your characters each show themselves to you and the reader uh, with a gaping hole in the place where their hearts should be. At the end of your book, they go from wholehearted, H-O-L-E, to wholehearted uh, via love, love conquering all. So she basically says that at the core of your story is going to be two characters with you know this gaping hole that they need to have filled and that can only really be filled by this other person. And that's the basics. If you don't have that, in your novel, um, then it's not really structured like a, like a, uh, a romance. All right, so um, she talks about um, a little bit more about that basic core problem that you're going to be introducing um, in, your, in your characters. She says, whatever is keeping your characters from falling in love, being in love, or thinking they deserve love, is what your book is going to be about. All your plot points and beats need to be looked at through the lens of that fear or misconception. Or deep-seated issue. Your book needs to show the process your protagonists endure to change so that by the end of the book they're able to give their whole heart to someone else and accept love in return. So this is one of those things where a lot of people say, well, I don't want to have a ton of structure. I don't don't want to have this story written for me. But the romance novel has very specific things in this case. We already know the theme, Love Conquers All, and we already know that the basic concept of what this book is going to be about is this particular Flaw that this character has, or these particular characters have, that they need to overcome. That is what the story is going to revolve around. <clears throat> this issue of fear or misconception is also often referred to as a character flaw or wound. It's that tender spot or hole in their hearts that they protect at all costs. Your characters are going to feel like a primal, are going to feel a primal instinct to protect the holes in their hearts, like they would a raw wound. And I thought that that would be a That's a great way of describing it. Um because we are protective and we do build walls uh, around our particular vulnerabilities. So by giving your character this vulnerability right out of the gate, um you've already kind of a natural built-in wall for them to have to knock down as well and to be able to have this other particular hero or heroine um get in there and, and uh solve this for them. Or help them solve it for themselves probably more accurately. All right, she says an aside about external plot. Um she, she describes the external plot as a subplot in this case, because the main plot of your romance novel is going to be the Love Conquers All story and everything else, whether they're on a secret mission or, um, you know, solving, you know, an alien abduction, whatever it is, the external plot is going on. That is technically the subplot that takes a back seat to the romance Love Conquers All, which is different from a lot of other novels where we may be writing a romantic subplot into, you know, a genre novel that's an action adventure. Here, you've got to just, you know, reverse that. And she says, notice I called the external element a subplot. Your main plot is wholehearted to wholehearted. That's the, the main structure of this. So it, she describes it as a caduceus at one point, two snakes circling around a pole, and that center pole being the romance. Um, says, focus on the, on the romance arc does not excuse you from having an external plot altogether, though. I, I prefer to frame this plot line as external goals. This might change as the book goes on, but they should always have an agenda, and if you want a page-turner, it should, conf- it should conflict with the external goal of the other main character. So the best way to drive tension, of course, is to pit your two love interests against each other in some sort of way so that you can uh, have continuous tension throughout the story. Um, she gave the example, I think, of um, one guy who's trying to fix up his family home, or, and then this other character. Maybe she's in charge of, you know, trying to get this building leveled so that she can build a comp- condo p- complex so that she can get the raise to help pay to put her her deaf sister through school. You know, something like that where well, they're both right. You know, they both got a, a heroic agenda, but they're two irreconcilable goods in this case uh, that just can't co- can't coexist. And then we've got to somehow solve it. I see uh, Damon Freeman was watching. Hi, Damon. Uh, you know, wonderful uh, cover designer. If any of you guys are looking for uh, cover design, check out uh, Demanza.com. They do all my covers. They're amazing. Um, Bernice is, Rios is watching. Hi. I Get away from her. So good to see you. Bernice. Thanks for thanks for tuning in and saying hi. All right. So that's the basic um, the basic uh, tip on, on on like the 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 main main overall look at, look at romance, why it's different from what other books are. And she does talk about, there's an interesting tip in here that I thought was useful, is that she talks about the external goal in terms of the copy when you go to write a, the, the blurb, the back of the book blurb for your story. She says the back of your book will not talk about the romance arc as a selling point. That's your um, external goal or premise or trope real estate. That's where you should be putting the other things uh, to hook your readers. It says inside the book, your character's inner journeys From unable to accept love to unable to stop themselves from falling in love is what clutches your readers in their own hearts. Um, And I thought that was interesting that she specifically says, don't worry about trying to highlight the romance part of uh, the story in in your blurb structure. Um, Maybe make that more about the conflict and the external issues. Um, Because I guess, well, obviously we're going to be, if we're picking up a romance novel and you're doing your job right with cover design and title, and, um, you know, the tropes, people will know that at its core, uh, they're getting the happily ever after, they're getting the romance, that part can almost be assumed. So you just have to hook them now with what's different, uh, not with what's the same, because we, we do understand that those things will be resolved. All right, so she describes the structure in four phases. Um, of course, the basic three-act structure um, that we're familiar with, oftentimes act two broken into two halves. In this case, uh, for the romance novel, she describes it as set up, falling in love, retreating from love, and then finally fighting for love. So set up, falling in love, retreating from love, fighting for love. Um, So it's kind of the basic, you know, 4X structure there, and we're going to get into those in a little bit in more detail. And she uses a beat sheet. So um, just like if you're familiar with Save the Cat, um, he has his you know fifteen beats of a, a basic story for a, a screenplay. She uses a lot of the similar um, methods uh, so if you 're familiar with save the cat and you read this book you 'll see a lot of things echo back and forth but of course hers are more specific for the romance structure, which is great so she'll um she 'll talk you through how to do the different beats and these are all the main beats that she she lists uh, I think she's got maybe twenty or so altogether so in setup we have. Introduce hero one, introduce hero two, which is the, the different part of a romance is typically you have two protagonists, and one is, might be your primary protagonist, but in case you're going to have two, so you've got to introduce them both. Then, of course, the meet cute. The meet cute is a term for when your uh, two characters are first on the page together and, and how that interaction goes. Um, no way number one, and then the adhesion plot thrust is what her her final setup uh, point is adhesion th- plot, plot thrust is of course when they ha- actually get stuck together. This is the uh, marriage of convenience or marriage of you know um, yeah convenience there 's some some sort of reason why these two people are stuck together. Uh, in the in the bromance in the buddy cop film, this is where you know Murtaugh and Riggs get stuck together as partners and have to go work on this case together. There's some reason why they're stuck stuck with each other. Maybe they're on a you know a sinking ship, you know the Titanic, and then they're you know they're confined to be uh, together because of that. There's whatever the reason is, they're stuck together. Uh, moving on to falling in love is which is Act Two. Um, so there's the No Way number two. They're still fighting this off. They get an inkling this could work, a deepening desire, maybe this will work, and then midpoint of love, the act two, part two is going to be retreating from love. They have an inkling of doubt, a deepening doubt, an actual retreat, shields up, break up. And then we have uh, the final act, our climax, fighting for love. We have the dark night of the soul, which is pretty standard, Uh, the wake up catharsis, a grand gesture. Which we're all familiar with those from uh, romance movies, and we'll go into those in a little bit more detail. And then what wholehearted looks like, and then possibly an epilogue, which is a very powerful uh, tool, especially in romance novels. Um, previous guest of the show, uh, Lucy Score, has has done a, an amazing job of, of growing a mailing list with her her bonus epilogues that she gives away, um, and. It, you know, it's something that's very valuable if you want to go ahead and add an extra chapter, an extra bonus chapter, especially one that you get from uh, signing up to your mailing list. It's a great tip for uh, growing your list organically. All right. Um, so she said, yeah, she describes it as the caduceus of these two characters rotating around this mutual love track that they're on. All right. Where to start? How do I start, start this out? Um, she says she usually starts out with what I call a spark sheet which is basically a bunch of rambles of everything I know about the story before I start to write it. Um, Oftentimes this is where you're going to dump out your tropes. I I equate this part to the, getting the puzzle pieces out of the box and dumping them on the table and starting to organize what you think is actually going to go where. Um, In this case, we're not going to use all the puzzle pieces. You're going to just sort of, you know, word vomit everything out onto the page, or whatever you've got, post-it notes for what you think might go into this story, and then start to arrange it. I'm using that method a lot myself these days, so I definitely, that's why I underlined it, was because it's something I've found very useful. All right, phase one, of course, writing your setup. So, um, just because we call it a setup, don't be fooled that you can take your time and show a character just waking up to start start her day yawning and all alone. This is a cliche. A nice juicy whiff of trouble is necessary from the very beginning. You want to show their normal life, yes, but you want to show that it's already about to change. Uh, the one thing you must know is your character's flaw, wound, or misconception about love. Don't proceed without it. Remember, everything in your book is seen through the lens of the wounds of your characters. So even from, from this phase one setup, when you're introducing your very first character, make sure that there's evidence that there's something wrong with them in this case, or some something wrong with their ability to... Uh, be loved, feel love, exert love, whatever it is that they're going to be struggling with through the rest of the story, the the wound that they need to have healed, uh, make sure it's evident and we see it the whole way through the book. All right, Uh, introducing character one and character two, hero one, hero two, Um, two beats in one chapter. So introduce the protagonist in a way that makes that character compelling. Notice I did not say likable. A character does not have to be likable, but they do have to be compelling. Uh, possible ways to make a character compelling. Character is best at what he or she does. Of course, we love it when people are good at things. Character is humorous. Character is sympathetic. Character is highly driven, selfless, etc., etc. Love someone more than themselves. There's a lot of ways that we like people and reasons why we like people. Not necessarily just because they're likable. So, um, But, of course, make your character compelling. Um, show your character's slice of life, but make sure you throw a hitch in it. Give or introduce your character's external goal. Introduce or hint at whatever your character needs. So part of your introduction. Um, you, you also want to hint. This is important. It says that you want to hint that the last thing this person wants is to meet the love of their life right now. Uh, in fact, hero one might not, might not either, even know that he or she is unhappy, but you need to show the reader that something is missing and that something is hero two. So Whoever your characters are, make sure that you're you're setting up that they do not want this right now. This is not a wanted romance or if or if it is, then there's some sort of flaw in that that they um you know want it too badly, something like that. All right, and then of course we get to the meet cute, which is um you know a staple a trope of the romance genre. You're going to see it in every romance movie. The point where these two characters first meet needs to be memorable. It's the the thing that they're going to be telling their grandkids about when they're, you know, after they've been married for 50 years this is you know what it has to be well executed from you as the writer um the meet cute is a term that's been around since the 1940s um it can also be referred to as the inciting incident though not everyone is in agreement about that the word cute insinuates a light or comedic factor but that may not resonate for your book if you you do want it to be memorable if they already know each other that's okay but this is the first time they're on page together and sparks should fly um she says The point of view character will have an initial physical reaction and an emotional reaction of not for me. This is the point where these two characters, they meet for the first time or they're shown on the page for the first time. It can't be, they may be initial attraction, um, but there has to be something there that throws up the red flag and says, Nope, not right now or not for me. Um, She recommends using all the senses in this beat and to pay attention to detail. Uh, of course, using you know, the scents, smells, sights, sounds, as much as you can get in there in this to really make it uh, stick for your characters is a great way to um, build your meet cute. And of course, you can watch all kinds of fun romance movies and see the really interesting ways that the characters meet for the first time. And it's, it's fun to watch the, the way that those sparks do, do fly, uh, partly because they're often abrasive to each other. And that's why we get these sparks. Alright, so the next beat is adhesion beat, which we talked about. Your characters have to get stuck together at some point. So the story needs to be crafted in a way that neither of them can walk away from the other. This is where a lot of tropes are introduced. Uh, Marriage of convenience, going on the run, hiding from the bad guys, pretend relationships, stranded in a snowstorm, um, entered into a contest or battle together, you know, Hunger Games, that sort of thing. Um, This beat pushes you into the second act. It's a plot thrust. They cannot walk away from the other not until they see this conundrum through. So think about it in your own way. Try to come up with your own particular adhesion method. Why can't these two characters get away from each other? Um, It's been done a million ways, but there's a million other ways to do it too, that it will be fresh and new. And that basically gets you through the first uh, 20 to 25% of your book. So this is, you know, um, act one. Then we're going to start pushing ourselves into act two of, of the story here. So at 20-25%, we begin the, the falling in love phase. Blake Snyder's Save the Cat calls this um, the the fun and games phase. And remember, this is good stuff happening, typically, for the relationship. First part of act two is usually good stuff happening. Second part of act two is usually bad stuff happening. Um, so here's, here's the fun stuff going on. Um, each scene needs to build on the sexual tension. Whether or not you consummate that tension on page, it's still there. So here we're, we're building... Uh, a chance for love basically. It says later when they are lamenting their losses the most important thing your characters will take away from this phase is that being with the other character made him or her a better person. Not just a horny person a better person. The person they could be if they were wholehearted instead of wholehearted. So basically as I really like the idea of mirrors in books. uh, Usually your opening image closing image um I just happened to watch uh, Knives Out the other day, and anyone who hasn't seen it, uh, when you do watch it, pay attention to the opening and closing image that both involve a mug um, with the words, this is my house, my my rules on it. And I, I love that the way that they, they flip the twist and they use the same, the mug that shows up in the opening shot also ends up in the closing shot. Um, but this happens a lot with stories <clears throat> where we have mirror images, usually um, the Dark Knight of the Soul, of course, is a mirror image of what your character initial, initially wants, so what, their, what they think that their their want is versus what their need is. So she's saying that when you go put your character in the Dark Night of the Soul, or have them reflect back to this particular phase, this beginning of Act 2. Uh, this fun and games portion where they're remembering the good times. Maybe it was when their fake boyfriend came to dinner with them and their family and, you know, the family actually welcomed this fake boyfriend and something that they did that, you know, warranted them being likable. Now they're realizing now that they've lost everything that this was exactly what they needed the whole time. You know, so so make sure you mind this is what she's saying uh, for later. It all ties together. The next beat is the No Way number 2, which is this beat is about your characters gathering their ammo and girding their loins as they are now stuck with the other character and want to avoid temptation, but don't forget to tempt them. So they're still saying no at this point to their love, um, but you have to start turning up the heat a little bit. Um, The Inkling. The Inkling beat is where you begin to have some fun. Whatever's going on in an external trope-driven plot, remember your focus is attacking your character's false belief about what he or he has stated in either no way beat one or no way beat two. We're starting to weaken their armor and their resolution about why this is a no. Um, uh, Next up, we have a deepening desire. Your characters are now thoroughly embroiled in the business of falling for each other. You've shown them an inkling of what it could be if they were wholehearted instead of wholehearted, but they are still reticent. Um, they may may have a murder mystery to solve at this time, or maybe the villain has twisted twisted his mustache and caused havoc but let 's get a beat in the romance dark about desire so let 's keep keep turning up the heat again here it 's sort of a slow progress and then we hit the maybe this time beat, which is uh, in the screenwriting world they say sex at sixty meaning that they have a, a sexual relations on page sixty of a script it 's the halfway point in a two hour movie uh, if you 're writing a book and and since page nine numbers are not confining but nearing the 50% mark where we are now is a good time to ramp up the desire for the last beat. Um, If your book has no sex at all, think true intimacy. If you write sex and they haven't had it yet, now is a perfect time right before the midpoint. Up to now, they've been showing each other things that have made them vulnerable to the other, and it's turning out okay uh, for now. So what if they gave in to that temptation? Um, This beat is called maybe because you have now attacked your character's resolution, basically, And they're not necessarily saying no anymore, they're saying maybe. They can see that maybe they have been wrong, maybe love isn't so bad, and maybe they'd really like to get naked now, is what she says. So depending on the heat level, it's always genre-dependent as to whatever. If you're writing a clean romance, of course this is going to be different than if you're writing erotic romance, Um, but this is the point where things can get a little bit steamy um, because they think things are going well. All right, so our midpoint of love is usually a, a false high. Um, they say, bring them really, really high here. Um, they, maybe they have the perfect morning after their, their maybe sex the night before. Maybe they open up in a way that they haven't before. Maybe they tell someone, a friend, or a confidant about how right this feels. Maybe they just internally think that this might be, oh, this might work. Uh, she says, bring them really, really high. It's a false high, but they don't know that. Everything is better than they thought it ever could be. So this is your elation of your lovers. Your two lovers think that everything is going to work out okay. And they're just... Um, but they haven't changed yet. They haven't actually worked on their internal flaw and fixed it. So the is not over, unfortunately. All right, so then we have um, phase three, where we're breaking into um, retreating from love. Where Now we're starting to go the other way we've we've reached our midpoint we've reached our false high cli- you know our, our fake climax here and we've gotten to the end of act the first part of act two which was good stuff happening the fun and games and now we're going to start into bad stuff happening where we're going to have a bit of a slide downhill um We're going to be going into... Oh, I see Lucy Score is watching. Hi, Lucy. Chrissy Schaefer is watching. Hi, Chrissy. And Cecilia is watching. Cecilia says, love this book. Um, If you guys haven't listened to the latest podcast this week from uh, the Wish I'd Known Then podcast for writers with uh, 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 Sarah Rosette and uh, Jamie Albright, both of them... um, I posted up a link to last week's episode, where they had, they had interviewed me, which was fantastic. But this week they interview, interviewed uh, Cecilia. Um, and Cecilia did a great job. It's an awesome interview. And she actually even mentioned uh, Romancing the Beat. So definitely go check it out. Her, um, her information, we did an episode a while back on, on writing resources. And that's one of the other things that I think she brought this up. Uh, but yeah, amazing podcast. If you're not already listening to the Wish I'd Known Then podcast, uh, definitely add it to your, to your regular rotation because it's great. It's immediately, it's quickly become one of my um, every week must listens. So, anyway, so we're going back into um, yes, like I said, we're we're on a kind of a downslide here at this point. So this is where we're getting for falling, not necessarily falling out of love, but we're starting to confirm things that they suspected um, previously. We're actually starting to make them feel a little bit more like, oh, I might have been right the first time. Of course, in the in the beginning of Act Two, they were reticent about moving forward, they were moving kind of two steps forward, one step back, and now we sort of reverse it. Now they're going one step forward, two steps back, is what the way she describes it in here. Um, so she says, look back at your no way beats and start exploiting. So but go back and look at their fears, their, their worries, the things that they were stressing about that they were starting to get let go of, and now they've gotta grab back hold of those again and say, okay, yeah, you're, you know, you're right, I, I was worried about this, now he's starting to show signs that this could really be a problem still. Um, it says, things are feeling pretty good for your protagonist right now in in regard to their relationship arc. Um, the external plot you cook up might not feel great for them, but they had just had their false high with the other and they're beginning to allow the idea that they could fall from someone else. Except now you're going to give them a quick sucker punch right in the feels. At each beat in this phase will get progressively harder on them. So maybe think of the worst thing that could happen first and then level down four different beats. So basically, she's suggesting... You know, look at your dark night of the soul moment. What's the worst possible thing we can have? Now, back that off a couple stages and then start inserting those beats along the way so that you have a gradual progression downward uh, during your second part of Act 2 just so that you can get them into their dark night of the soul pretty effectively. So we have deepening doubt. um, But that seed of doubt you've planted in the last beat starts to grow. And then we have retreat, retreat. Each of these beats has been bringing your characters... It was, like she said, two steps backward and one step forward again. So now we're, we're, kind of on, we're still on our descent. Uh, even though they're not completely writing off this other person, um, things are getting progressively worse throughout the second half of Act 2. And she says, The retreat beat is one where you leave subtext behind and let them actually say, either in internal or external dialogue, what they fear, and that they are going to protect their hearts. They may not say it to each other, because that would be too easy, No, she might tell her mom or friend, or maybe she just tells herself, but this is where we can actually get a little bit more overt about it and say, you know, Hey, this is something's not working here and I need to protect myself because remember that they're still wounded and, um, it's still raw and they're trying to heal, but they still haven't done it yet. All right. And then of course shields up. This is, well, here we go. Your heroes finally get to be right about something. Whatever they foretold in their no-way beats comes true. If all men leave, her lover leaves her. If all women cheat, he thinks she has proven that she is cheating. She's not, of course, because if she is, you didn't write a romance. But there will be a couple of beats before they realize that they created this self-fulfilling prophecy. For now, let them bask in the glory of being right. So basically, the beats bookend themselves like this. A no-way beat, I don't believe in love or will never love again or I don't deserve love because blank. The Shields Up beat equals, I knew better than to believe in love love or love again. I think or think that I deserve love because when I let my guard down, this happens. So they're proving themselves right. They knew all along that this was something they needed to be scared about. And sure enough, here's the bad thing that happened, even though they're wrong. They don't know they're wrong. All right, so in the course, your your next beat will be the breakup scene where they actually break up. Um, Things go... um, completely the wrong direction for them. This is a major attack and one one or both of them have to choose fear. She says they have to choose this too many romance novels have at this moment often called the black moment be driven by an external plot point. She's trapped in a building and there's an explosion and everyone is sure she's dead. It's a very nice gut punch, but it's external. If the black moment comes from external plot points, your heroes are not learning anything about themselves. Um, she says, always have your black moment be tied to the moment when your heroes choose to hold on to their fears, flaws, or wounds and misconceptions instead of opening their hearts completely. So they've made a wrong choice here. Um, and you'll, you'll see it in a hundred different ways, but they've, they've been given an option and they've chosen wrong. All right, phase four. And now we're starting into, of course, our final act, um, which is going to be our act three. And it's fighting for love. So the last phase of your romance arc, the following beats are all about your heroes realizing that they are cotton-headed nitty-muggins and clawing their way back to each other using the footholds you gave them in the second phase. So hopefully you gave them some good ones. The Dark Knight of the Soul, of course. Um, it's the death of the ego. It's the rock bottom. Basically, it's the place where your heroes think they should feel better than they do about the stupid thing they just did. Suddenly, they're staring out window windows while montages of phase two play across their mind and every song they hear is about heartbreak. Um, So this is them looking back at all the good times, wondering what on earth they did to to derail their lives. Then they have a wake up moment, which the next beat is wake up and smell the coffee. Um, This is the beat where they finally say, this time I choose love over fear. So they've had a realization, maybe there's a subplot, um, you know, B story going on with a friendship, somewhere, something like that. And um, these people have, um, you know, helped them see the light of day. and have, have, I know in, for example, I want to say Legally Blonde, um, she has some the hairstylist characters come back and help kind of rock her out of her her um, funk she's in and, and put her back on the path. She says, They have to take off their armor and stand in front of each other defenseless. They have to choose to do this. They might also realize in this beat that they might be too late to win back the love they lost, but this is where they get the will to try. Then, of course, it takes us into the grand gesture. Um... The iconic gesture of romance movies is Lloyd Dobler holding a boombox over his head and playing In Your Eyes to win back his lady. Other grand gestures you may be familiar with, Harry running all the way across town to tell Sally he loves her at midnight on New Year's Eve, Josie Geller standing on that baseball field waiting for her first kiss or public humiliation, Edward Lewis facing his fear of heights to kiss Vivian on the fire escape, Sanny and Danny giving up their old selves and outfits to fit into each other's worlds at the graduation carnival and grace course, Baby finally doing the leap, Dirty Dancing. There's, there's a whole bunch of these. Um, basically, your, your hero has to do something grand to really prove, to really hang it all out there. Um, it says, the grand gesture is a fi- fixture in romance. When you sell it short, you miss out. For the grand gesture to work and delight your reader, there needs to be risk. Your character has just had an epiphany, is ready to be courageous. He or she must be willing to put it all on the line now or risk losing one thing that they need to become wholehearted. It's life or death. And by death, I mean symbolic. Death of career, death of pride, death of a goal or dream, or literal death. Um, case of Titanic. Um, she says, Common gestures include the race to the airport across town, somewhere with a ticking clock and loss of obstacles, a public declaration with a risk of humiliation, overcoming a specific fear um, et, cetera, et cetera, or you know a literal risk of, of life or sacrificing a dream or goal for the other to see his or her dream come true um, and this of course like I said this isn't just for romance this is also for um, you know in the buddy cop story maybe this is where they stand up to the chief and say that they're gonna you know side with their partner um, you know and turn in their badge you know whatever it is something has something big has to happen here where they just, where they side with their with the right, uh, choice here. It says the beat in this moment is your entire, no- is this is, this is the beat and moment your entire novel has been building to. Make it grand, make it funny, make it angsty, make it, make it whatever you want, but make it big. <clears throat> then of course, um, you know, once Harry has finally declared his love for, for Sally and they've, you know, kissed at, at uh, New Year's Eve, then we finally get the closing image, the wholehearted. The closing image or denouement for all you classy lit majors is a bookend of sorts that shows a good contrast of where your lovers were at the beginning compared to where they end up. A nice mirror image of the meet-cute is always appreciated, but any mirror moment will have some impact. Mirror their first kiss, an intimate joke, the setting of their first meeting, a pivotal plot point from phase two. Um, They kissed and made up in the last beat, but now show your reader what wholehearted looks like for these two. You've put them through the ringer, now's your chance to make it up to them. You may also go on to write an epilogue, or this might be the end. And the end sells your next book. You want the reader to have such an endorphin rush that they sprain their finger one-clicking their next read from you. I think that was a great um, way of putting it, because there's no higher point in the book than right now. This is the moment where you get to finally pay off all of your setups, and um, the the reader's going to be feeling really, really good right now. Um, which brings you to the epilogue. If you really want this this new reader uh, who just had a blast seeing your two uh, characters fall for each other and finally work out their happily ever after, um, why not try to get them on your mailing list so that you can sell them your next book? And this, of course, helps with the... If you have an epilogue, a lot of times um, your reader's not quite ready for the story to be over. They you know They're not ready for their book hangover, so they want the wedding. They want to see babies. They want to see whatever it is that comes next um, in the story of your two lovers. So having a little bit of an interaction, a bonus interaction is is a good idea. She says, one thing I caution writers, writers about is that too perfect is boring. People are still the same people after they get their happily ever after. They're just happy. Don't turn your characters into cardboard at the last hurrah. Keep that spark that made them dance off the page. No personality transplants. If he was a scoundrel, he's still a scoundrel, just limited to one woman now. And who doesn't need more scoundrels in their lives? It's up to you, a master at your craft, to manage a scene with with a little conflict that is still intriguing. So um, at the end of your story, yeah, I, I definitely recommend that. Don't go changing your whole character's personality, um, which I think is one of my biggest issues with, for example, at the ending of The Last Hunger Games, we all of a sudden see Katniss Everdeen um, in a... Field of flowers with with some kids in a in a dress, and it's the exact opposite of Katniss we knew the entire time. We have this girl who's a hunter warrior who goes off to fight uh, in in arenas to the death to save her family, and all of a sudden she just sort of settles down at the end with with a uh, um, with some kids and you know just hangs out in her her um, you know house dress. And it 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 was a clash with the character. Um, And that was one of the reasons why that book's... There was a lot of reasons why that book didn't work. Um, But as far as endings go, as much as I should criticize a major bestseller, but um, a lot of people were unsatisfied with it because of the fact that it completely changed the ending for the character because it was like like she was a different person. So obviously don't do that. She goes on in the end of this to um, actually give you beat sheets. She also gives you some examples. She talks you through um, one of her own... Um, novels, and the setups, and how she sort of um, did the beats, and then she gives you an example of it, which is great. Um, she also does a uh, suggested reading list. She suggests uh, writing screenplays that, s- screenplays that sell by Michael Higg, um, Save the Cat, of course, by Blake Snyder, The Writer's Journey, Mythic Structure for Writers. Um, then she also has some, some tips in here for Scrivener, etc., there's some little self promo back here. If you want to find out more about Gwen Hayes, it's it's gwenhayes.com, um, and she does have uh, some resources. Uh, she does editing as well. Uh, for it's called fresheyescritique.com, so you can check those out. Um, and Sarah says, "Hola, hey sis, good to see you." Um, yeah, and she, like I said, she does give an example in the in the back uh, of some of the other resources she uses. So this is this one, if you're using, if you're gonna write romance, definitely pick it up. Like I said, I, you can read this in an hour. There's no reason why you can't read this one. And like I said, it is a fundamental difference from hero's journey stories. If you're used to writing a basic three-act structure using you know, Dan Harmon's story circle or any of these other s- structure methods, you have to understand that it's not necessarily gonna work for everything. Mysteries, uh, romance, they have a, a basic bone structure that's different to them. And if you try to layer your mystery over top of a hero's journey um, structure, it's just not gonna line up. Um, For those of you who are interested in in, in checking out some help on this, of course, I've uh, used the program Novel Factory before. If you go to NovelFactory.com, you can check out, and they actually have templates on there that lay out the different structures for romance, mystery, thriller, um, character-driven, Plots versus you know you know externally driven plots. You can kind of see some of these different structures in there. Um, It's a pretty pretty cheap program. I think it's a subscription service, like six bucks a month or something. But just using it one time actually really helps you out um, in understanding how to build a story and what the different structures look like. Um, There's I think there's a, a a free promo. Um, you can actually just go in there and look at it for a couple weeks without paying for it and then see if it's for you or not. But I don't have any um, connection to them. It's not like I have any uh, kickback or anything from, from mentioning them. They I just legitimately used the program and learned a lot from it. So I, I pitch it whenever I can. But that's it for me. Like I said, I, I appreciate you guys listening and, and checking out uh, Romancing the Beat if you guys get a chance. I, have, I do recommend it. I've been reading a few other things uh, that have not been as interesting. I've been reading some other craft books and I Um, Of course, we'll be back to regular interviews next week. This past week, apologies for there not being an episode last week. That was because um, we had a a surprise little scare with my my daughter, ended up battling some fevers and ended up in the hospital briefly. Um, So we had to reschedule my wonderful guest. I have Pippa Grant coming on, uh, but she will be back in two weeks. So she's back on the schedule and we won't miss out on that interview. Um, Next week, I'll be talking to Sarah Rosette, who is uh, from the Wish I'd Known Then podcast. She'll be back to talk. She has a new book on writing series, um, which is something that not a lot of people address. Is that we, we talk a lot about craft books for writing a novel singular, but we don't often talk about what it's like to try to structure a series. So um, I'm looking forward to checking out her book, and we'll be discussing it next week. And then, of course, we'll have, um, we'll have Pippa back as well. And uh, I've got some other good interviews lined up for the rest of the month. So looking forward to some some more interviews. So um, I hope you've enjoyed this particular podcast. I hope you got some details out of this uh, breakdown that you can find interesting. Um, I'm always interested in comments, so feel free to leave comments. Um, Or if you have questions, happy to answer them. Um, And uh, like I said, if you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with, with someone and uh, i hope that y'all have a, a great week so far and hope you enjoy enjoy your weekend and i'll be back again next week with an interview so hope y'all doing well thanks for listening i'll talk to you soon